0: Well, hello, everyone. We are so glad that you are able to join us here today, even in this way online. Uh, We have been praying that you have stayed safe during this hurricane, and we continue to pray that power would stay on, that it would come back on, and that there has not been significant damage. Uh, My name is Hannah. I am the Next Generation's pastor here at Cornerstone, and I actually realized getting ready for this weekend, that this is actually the one-year anniversary of kind of my walking through the whole ordination process and becoming an official reverend. And it was one year ago tomorrow that we were all here together uh, celebrating that, and I was just reminded that I'm so glad to be here, and that I get to serve here, and really excited to be here with you this morning. And I realized that because I'm next gen, uh, I don't always occupy kind of this space, but you'll probably see me running around on Sunday in the foyer, I'm downstairs with the kids, I'm here on Friday night, so you might not know all that much about me. So I thought I would share with you kind of a couple fun facts just so that you could get to know me a little bit better. My first fun fact for you is this, I love to travel. Second fun fact, hate the airport, okay? It's like a fun and winning combo. In fact, I hate the airport so much that I'm pretty sure I preached last year about how much I hate the airport. And I I really do believe that when I don the doors of an airport, there is like an alter ego that emerges, like there is Hannah and then there is like airport Hannah. Okay. And airport Hannah, she is uh, a little anxious. Okay. Airport Hannah has to get there like very early, like four hours early for a domestic flight. Airport Hannah has to have the boarding pass in the Apple Wallet and in the email and printed out uh, at home before and also printed out at the airport just in case one of those methods fails. But probably, and I know some of you are like this, you also have an airport alter ego, so I have no shame in sharing this with you. But probably the biggest thing about my airport alter ego is needing to know, are we at the right gate? Are we at the right gate Has the gate changed? Has the time of the flight changed? Are we still at the right gate? Are we at the right gate? Is this the gate that we need to be at? And God bless my husband, John, he always says to me in that kind of calm, for better or for worse, but I did marry a crazy person tone, like, yes, you are at the right gate. Yes, the flight is still leaving on time. If something changes, they will email us. If something changes, they will make an announcement. But for some reason, I just can't shake that feeling at the airport. Like, what if I don't know that I'm in the right place? What if I think I know, but I don't actually know? Because this is important, and I don't want to miss it. I want to make sure I'm in the right place, and I'm doing the right thing. We're in this series uh, called Love and Light, where we're working through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And the first week, we got an introduction to this series. Last week, Pastor Phil talked about the reality of acknowledging our sin, but how what Jesus has done on the cross and who Jesus is means that sin does not have to have power over our lives. And this week, we're going to be looking at 1 John 2, 3 to 14, where John responds basically to the same kinds of feelings about faith that I have about airports. What if I think I know God, but I don't really know? I need to know, right, that I'm following God, because this is important, and I don't want to miss it. I want to make sure I'm in the right place and I'm doing the right thing. And in this passage, this morning, John is going to gently but clearly say to us, yes, you are at the right gate. This is how you'll know you're in the right place. You don't need to panic. You're at the right gate. So let's pray as we dive in this morning. God, we are so thankful for you today. We are thankful for your love and for your light. We are thankful for your goodness and your mercy that follow us even through a weekend like the weekend that we have had, that so many things are out of control, but God, you are in control and you hold it all. And we pray that whatever we bring into this space out of this weekend, that we would be able to focus on you on who you are, and what you have to say to us in your word this morning. God, we're thankful for the time that we get to spend with you today and with each other, even online. In your name we pray. Amen. Before we dive any deeper into this, we are going to take a look at this passage. We're actually going to look at the first nine verses, and this is what it says. This is 1 John 2, 3 to 11. It says we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person but if anyone obeys his word love for God is truly made complete in them and this is how we know we're in him whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did dear friends I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message that you have heard. And yet I'm writing to you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves A brother or sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. What I love about John, and we're just going to take a moment to pause right here because I realize I'm also married to a man named John, who I love very much, and this could get a little confusing, but from this point forward, we're going to kind of talk about John, the author of these letters. Shout out to you, John, my husband. I do love you, but let's all just assume from this point forward we're talking about John, the author. What I love about John, the author, is that he is so straightforward. He is direct, like almost in a way that's uncomfortable. Like, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. Everyone since, and you're like, wow, John, like you're not wrong, but that's really direct for 2022. And actually I think John would just like kill it on Twitter. In fact, I think this passage could be boiled down to a Twitter thread, it's just begging for it. So check this out, this would be, if John was on Twitter, uh, how to walk in the light, a thread. This is what I think it would look like. First, he could tweet this. If you say, you know God, keep his commands. Really easy, straightforward, to the point. And then he might follow up with this. If you say you're living in him, you must live as Jesus did. Easy. And then his last one might look like this. If You say you're living in the light. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And basically, actually, he could retweet these three tweets two more times, and you would get 2nd and 3rd John. This is just how direct and clear he is. And these are our three big ideas for today. How do we know that we're really following God, that we're really walking in the light? Well, if you say you know God, keep his commands. If you say you're living in God, live as Jesus lived. And if you say you're living in the light, love your brothers and sisters. So we're going to jump into these three big ideas this morning. Let's start with the first one. If you say you know God, Keep his commands. We cannot claim to be people who follow God and pay no attention to what he has told us to do. We can't act like we know God and yet reject the idea that we have to obey him. Verses three to five say this, we can be sure we know him if we obey his commands. If someone claims I know him but does not do what he commands, they're a liar and the truth is not in that person but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is made truly complete in them. Obedience is tricky, okay? You may hear the word obey and you might have a little bit of a reaction within you. We humans, we don't have a good track record when it comes to obeying God's commandments. How long does it take before humans disobey God in the course of our history? About three chapters, right? Adam and Eve and Genesis, they're given one rule to obey by God, and they break it. And through the rest of the narrative of the Bible and even to present day, we wrestle with the same resistance to doing what God tells us to do. So, like I mentioned at the beginning, I work with the next generation. Uh, part of my job is to like know things about them, at least know something about them. And interestingly, Studies have shown that this generation and the generations to follow will be the most skeptical of blind authority of any generation that has existed. So I work with teens and kids here at the church, but do this because I said so, because I'm the pastor? It does not work in the same way that perhaps it once did. I cannot tell students to do something on a Friday night or tell them how to live their lives, or even get them to stay six feet apart because I'm the pastor and I told them to. What I have to do is I have to take time to show them that I'm trustworthy. I have to build relationships with them. I have to take them aside and say, listen, I need you to know what my heart is for you. My heart is for you as you get to know me that I want you to know that you are deeply loved, that you are deeply valued, and what I want for you is the best for you. But I know that if they didn't know that, that I just come across sounding like I'm mean. I come across sounding like I'm trying to ruin people's fun, or maybe like I'm trying to control them. But like, really, I'm not saying to you that you can't eat 12 chocolate bars at 9 p.m. on Friday because I'm trying to kill your fun. Like, I'm telling you that because if you eat 12 chocolate bars on Friday night, you are going to be sick. I am gonna end up cleaning up everything that happened when you were sick, and it's not gonna be good for you on an individual level or for us on a greater community level. See, it's when we have rules without relationship that it's hard to understand the heart of obedience. When we have rules without relationship, it is hard to understand the heart of obedience. It's the same with God. We need to understand that his rules or his command are intricately connected to the relationship that we have with him. And so what we have to do is we have to take the time to come to understand deep in our hearts that he is trustworthy. We have to build a relationship with him. We have to get to know his heart. We have to come to understand within that relationship that obeying the rules will lead to what he wants most for us, which is life and flourishing for ourselves and for our broader community. God's commandments have always been given to us out of his loving heart. They're an extension of his character as a relational God because he wants what's best for us. And in first, second, and third John, there's a specific focus on one commandment that we need to be dialed in on. In verses seven and eight, he says this, "'Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. The old command is the message that you have heard. Yet I'm writing to you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. The commandment that John is talking about is one of the most repeated ideas throughout all of these letters. It's love one another. The laws and the commandments given to us in the Old Testament are all given out of a space of having love for God and for one another, maintaining community and unity between God and his people. John says it's old, but we get a new understanding of what it really looks like through Jesus. It echoes Jesus' words from Matthew 22 when a religious teacher asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If we know God, we obey his commandments. And all of the commandments are summed up in this way. Love God and love others. So what does it really look like to love one another? Well, that leads us to John's second big idea. If you say that you're living in God, live as Jesus lived. Simply put, we can't say that we're living in God if our lives are not marked by the same things that marked Jesus' life. And what marked Jesus' life kind of above everything else was his love. And this is important because we, and I am preaching as much to myself right now uh, as anyone else, we can easily say, oh yeah, like I'm a Christian. I'm like loving. But so often the temptation is to be loving only when it's easy or when it's convenient for us. There's a temptation to love when everyone else can see, but maybe behind closed doors, we're actually not that loving of a person. And it's tempting to limit our circles of who we love sometimes especially in the church, based on who thinks like us, who talks like us, who acts like us, who looks like us, who agrees with us on things we think are important. But John, in his really direct way, is basically saying, yeah, that's actually not a life that's marked by love. It's not actually living as Jesus lived. See, Jesus, he lived out a different and a radical form of love. He sacrificed his time and his plans and his reputation and his energy to love those in a way that moved them from darkness into light. And there was nobody, nobody who was outside of this love. Everyone was invited in. Rich people, poor people, sick, hurting, sinful, socially outcast. Those who are in need of forgiveness, men, women, children, people of different cultural and religious backgrounds, Jesus loves them all. It's a love that is driven by selflessness and humility and a dependence on the Father to provide. It's a love that is driven by a willingness and a desire to forgive and to speak The truth lovingly when needed, and a deep, deep compassion. The amount of times in the Gospels that we read that Jesus sees people, and out of his great love for them, for the situation that they're in, he is moved to tears or he is in physical discomfort. Is this how we look at our brothers and sisters today? Because he loves them so much. We talk a lot in church about our mission to love people who don't know Jesus, and that is great and it is very important. But John in this passage is challenging us. He's kind of saying, you know, before loving the people who don't know Jesus, how are you doing at loving the people who actually do know him? One of my favorite passages in Scripture is from Philippians 2. This is Paul also speaking to the church. He says, In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, a.k.a. walk the way that he walked, live the way that he lived, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus models the ultimate form of love and sacrifice when he gives up his life for us on the cross. And he died out of a deep and radical love, not just for those he liked, not just for the people who were like him, not just for the people who understood him. He died for the people who didn't get him. He died for the people that hated him. The call on us through this passage is to love people whether or not they will ever love us back. That takes a deep and a sacrificial kind of love. And that leads to John's third big idea. If we're living in the light, we have to be loving to one another. We cannot hate one another. We can't say that we're walking in the light if we don't love one another. He says in verses nine to 11, anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Now this part sounds actually a lot like what Pastor Phil preached about last week, that there's a certain category of people, John is saying, that think that they're living in the light, but how they live their lives show the opposite, that they're actually in the darkness. Now again, John, very direct author, you might hear the word hate. And like the word obey it might cause a reaction in you i know it causes a reaction in me i've had a few conversations even this week with people who say now hate is a strong word i don't hate anyone but i want us to unpack it how it's being used here my brother luke he is a biblical language scholar he is studying greek and hebrew and always doing a lot of bible translating so in preparing for this i asked him like hey Can you see what you can find me on this word hate and how it's used in this passage? And he came back to me with a really interesting unpacking of what this word means in its original context. Hate, especially in the mindset of the audience that John is speaking to, it goes beyond an emotional feeling. See, the original audience, they would have been living in an honor-shame culture. To hate someone was not just to feel strongly against them, but to desire to exclude them from the community, to hold them outside, to keep them at an arm's length, and to hold them in a position of shame so that they could exist outside of the circle. And I am not here today to accuse us of being a bunch of haters, okay? That is like not my heart. And I know that hate is a strong word. And we truly, I know, we don't wanna say we hate anyone. But it might be easier than we think to act in some of the ways that are at the heart of this word. And before I kind of talk about some of these relationships, I just want to take a moment to say that I understand, before we jump in here, that there are relationships where very strong boundaries need to be set in order to protect um, people's health and their mindsets and their physical health as well, and that is not the kind of relationships that we're talking about here. I recognize that in scenarios of abuse and of trauma that the path to healing and forgiveness is more nuanced than we can cover. So that's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about here is what do you do with the people that rub you the wrong way? (laughs) What do you do with the people who may hold a different theological position that you really hold dear? What do you do with the people who don't think like you or talk like you or look like you or believe the same things that you do here within our Christian faith? Are there people deep in our hearts that we would rather exclude from our community completely? Are there people even here at church or in our broader church, that we would rather hold at an arm's length? And in our mind, it's easier for us to categorize them in some way as an outsider. Are there people we look at? And again, this is, I am preaching to myself here as well. And we think, shame on them for their behavior or for what they posted or for the language that they use. Don't they know that that's not how Christians are supposed to act? We have not been reminded more than this week end of the impact of what it what happens when we're living in the darkness because we've had power outages and all of those things and we know that when our hearts are in these places that leads to darkness right it leads to exclusion it leads to the inability to forgive it leads to pride in our own hearts it leads to making our circles so small that they only include certain people. We don't want to be people who walk in the darkness, who are stumbling around. We want to be people who are marked by love and by light. And if we're going to be people who live as Jesus lived and who obey his commandments to love one another, then we need to take our cue from Jesus. Because shame puts people at a place where they are outsiders, and where they are kept at a distance, and where they are dishonored. But the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus compels him to die on a cross so that those who are on the outside can be brought in. At a great cost to himself, he lovingly looks at humanity, which by the way includes you and includes me. Who were totally undeserving of being brought into his community and he says no i love you so much that you are forgiven that you have worth that you have value that you have honor there is a place here in the circle for you come and join me if we're going to be brothers and sisters in christ we cannot purposefully exclude each other it doesn't mean we have to be best friends with everybody But living in the light means loving one another. And sometimes, yes, it actually does mean going out of our way to work to understand how some people on the outside can be brought in. That's what it looks like to live and love like Jesus does. So those are John's three big ideas. Obey God's commandments, live as Jesus lived, and love one another. Super easy, right? Like we do those things all the time. Not actually, at least if you're like me. If you were here last week, you heard Phil's sermon, um, then you are aware that we wrestle, right, with the issue of sin in our lives, even as we follow Jesus. We want to obey, but we can still find ourselves kind of doing our own thing. We want to live as Jesus lived, but we can find ourselves just living for ourselves again. We want to love one another and to live in authentic community, but we find ourselves stumbling around in the darkness. So if we're people who still wrestle with sin, then how do we know? How do we know that we're really walking in the light? Well, John has an answer for this too, and it's in the last three verses of this passage. And this is what he says. He says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers. And by the way, when he says fathers and young men here, uh, you could also read this as those who are uh, mature in faith and those who are young in faith. So like, ladies, we're not off the hook here. This is for us as well. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you knew him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. See, if we have made the decision to acknowledge the sin that is in our lives and that only Jesus has the power to deal with it, and we say yes, Jesus, I am going to give my life to you. I'm going to do my best to obey your commands, to live as you live, to pursue a life where I humbly and with great dependence on you, seek to serve and love you and the people that you have created. John then says this about you and me today. He says that through Christ, you are God's child. Through Christ, your sins have been forgiven. You do know Christ who has existed from the beginning. You have, through Christ, won the battle over the evil one. You are strong in Christ. And through Christ, God's word lives in your heart. See, Christianity, it is not the try-hard game. We as Christians, we don't try harder on our own strength to be loving or obedient or more humble. I can do that maybe for like five minutes and then I'm done but because this is our reality, that we are God's children, that we have in Christ won the battle over the evil one, that we are strong, that we know Christ, that God's word does live in our hearts, then this allows us to be people who by the grace of God will walk more and more in the light each day as we walk with Christ. We are at the right gate. So the task before us as we leave today is to shine through his power. Shine the love and light of Christ, knowing that he has given us everything we need to obey him and to love and live like him, to receive forgiveness when we mess up, and to walk in his marvelous light. Now, if Dana or Richard was up here preaching today, uh, I would get them to sing, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I am not musically blessed, and so we're going to skip the singing. But instead of kind of closing in prayer, what I would love to do is just speak this truth over us today, this truth that we can receive only through Christ, who has died and risen again, but that is ours to receive because of his power. So I'd invite you, close your eyes, if that helps you to focus more, and I would just love to speak These words over you as we wrap up. Church, walk in love and light because through Christ you are children of God. Church, walk in love and light because through Christ your sins have been forgiven. Church, walk in love and light because you know Christ who has existed since the beginning. Church, walk in love and light because through Christ we have won the battle over the evil one. Church, walk in love and light because through Christ and in Christ you are strong. And Church, walk in love and light because through Christ's God's word lives in your hearts. Church, walk in love and light. Obey his commands. Live as he lived and love one another. Amen.